Hi, everybody. This is John with Out of Character. It's been a while since I have done a solo podcast. We've done a lot of uh, in-character stuff and things focused on reviews lately. I haven't done a game discussion in a while, so I wanted to do that. So sorry if people are hoping for a more actual play. We will have that for you soon. We've got a few things we've recorded. Today, I wanted to talk a bit about Adventures in Middle-Earth. For those who aren't familiar with it, it is essentially Dungeons & Dragons compatible system set in the world of Middle-Earth uh, by J.R.R. Tolkien. Really great system. I I really enjoy it. Uh, I believe it's up for uh, various Ennies this year, so I don't know if they've actually declared the winners for the Ennies yet, but hopefully Cubicle 7 will get some award for it, possibly. We've been playing a lot of it on the podcast. That's been that's going to be one of our ongoing games, uh, that along with the Lamplighters and um, possibly one or two other things that we are toying with. And I've really enjoyed this system. I've talked a lot about it. I've done two reviews of the system and uh, just general discussions. Today, my primary focus is when I go online, I try to look at what other people are saying about the game and, you know, strengths and weaknesses, what you like, what you didn't like. And one thing a lot of reviewers have said that I kind of thought was interesting was they feel like the classes that are presented in... Adventures in Middle-Earth don't hold up when compared with the classes that are presented in a typical Dungeons & Dragons game. And I'd like to respond to that a little bit. So, to be clear, in Adventures in Middle-Earth, you are not playing the typical classes that you would see in in almost any other Dungeons & Dragons game. There are different classes, like you have the Scholar... The Treasure Hunter, the Wanderer, the Warden, and the Warrior and Slayer, respectively. Now, there's a lot of comparison between classes. Like, for example, you could easily compare the Slayer to the Barbarian. They play differently, but uh, similar mechanics are present for both. Um, what you don't have in this game are... Divine classes, you have no clerics, you have no paladins, you also do not have any magic users, technically. You don't have any uh, wizards or sorcerers or... And one of the things that people have said is they feel like the lack of those classes makes makes the party too weak to function. Like, the, the balance is just completely thrown askew. I can see the point those reviewers are trying to make. Taking out magic users and divine classes certainly has an impact on party composition. If you are running this as a typical D&D game where you're throwing hordes of orcs and goblins at your players, then yes, having the lack of a wizard who can just throw a fireball while the cleric puts out wave after wave of healing spells is going to change how things work. Having said that, I love that Cubicle 7 stuck to what is, you know, Middle-earth when they made this. It would have been really easy to just say, well, we're going to have wizards and everything, and we're going to go with that because that's what people will expect of a Dungeons & Dragons game. But, I mean, in Adventures in Middle-earth, there really are only five wizards in the whole world. Um, You know, you have Saruman the White, Radagast the Brown, Gandalf the Grey, and the two Blues who we only hear about uh, in a few places. We don't ever really see them showing up very much. So I like that there's not just wizards running all over the place. If you look in the book, one of the uh, one of the backgrounds you can choose... Backgrounds are one of the things that form your character. Basically is what your character has been doing their whole life that's led them 
you know, down this path to adventure that they currently find themselves on, the magician. So uh, the magician is, you, you don't have access to magic. You are basically a, a conjurer of illusions and tricks and things like that. Um, you present, you might present yourself as a, a wizard or a magician in pro, in true, in true form, but you are not. And I really think that that was the way to go with this because if you suddenly have an influx of just, you know, there are wizards everywhere, it does take away, I think, and from the uniqueness of Middle Earth. I like the classes that are presented here. I think that they are all very different. They all have different roles to fill. And some people have said that, like, well, you could compare the, you know, you could compare certain classes like uh, the Wanderer to the Ranger. And if you did so, you would say, like, well, Rangers in 5th edition D&D gain spellcasting, whereas in Adventures of Middle-Earth, they don't gain spellcasting. And taking that away makes them inherently weaker. To say that to me, it is true. Yes, you you are correct in stating that to remove spellcasting from a class is to change it. But I think that it makes it more interesting in a lot of ways. A lot of times when I've been playing D&D or listening to D&D games or, you know, running games, there, there can be this loss of a sense of urgency or danger to a thing. Because if you're playing a, a, the average party, you know, four to six players, maybe a bit bigger, and you have that nice spread of abilities across the board, it's almost like there's no danger to anything. Because you, you know, oh, we've got the cleric and the paladin to, you know, lay on hands and cure wounds on us, and, uh, you know, our wizard can banish that, you know, uh, wyvern into another dimension if it becomes too much for us to handle. There's nothing wrong with that. There's certainly a place for that, but... I like that in Middle Earth, things are not so simple. Uh, you, 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 you have these characters, you know, from like the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings books that are very, very skilled at what they do. You know, everyone from, you know, Samwise to Gimli to Boromir or Eowens and, and Toriel, they all have abilities and skills that are their own and make them special. But they aren't just inherently magical powers that they can, you know, summon up things to deal with everything for them. Magic is part of their world, of course, you know. I don't think anyone would try to argue that magic is not part of the world of Middle-earth. It, it just doesn't spring from the fingertips of everyone who happens to call upon it. And I like that. I like that there is a sense of we rely on ourselves more than power. There's this scene in the first Hobbit movie uh, that Peter Jackson did, uh, The the Unexpected Journey. And it's a spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie, by the way. It's about, I'm, I'm going to say about midway through the movie, maybe a little bit more than that. You see Gandalf and the company of Thor and Oakenshield have reached Rivendale, and they are kind of having a, a rest before pressing on. And Gandalf is brought before the White Council, which consists of Elrond, Saruman, and Galadriel to basically answer for his machinations and his part in this quest to reclaim Erebor. It, it's basically decided that the dwarves shouldn't go, but they run off and everyone kind of storms off to deal with things as they will. Saruman's basically, you know, stamps his feet and wanders back to his tower. Uh, and there's a moment, and it's a really great scene where Gandalf is talking to Galadriel, and she asks him, you know, why did you bring Bilbo Baggins into this? Why is this hobbit 
involved in this journey. And he, and it's this great scene with Ian McKellen and he's a great actor, but this is one of my favorite scenes he ever did where he says, you know, Saruman believes it is great power that holds evil in check. And Gandalf basically says, you know, that's not what I believe. I believe it's small things, you know, everyday deeds of simple, ordinary people, you know, acts of kindness and love. And I think that's one of the things that makes Middle-earth great. These are not all-powerful wizards, with the exception of Gandalf, who are going out and making a change in the world. These are, for all intents and purposes, ordinary people. Yes, Legolas is an elf, and, you know, Gimli is, of course, a dwarf, and, you know, Thorin is a dwarf, and all of the hobbits are hobbits, but... And yes, they have inherent magical abilities to them. You know, elves are not nearly immortal and are, you know, more graceful and skilled than the ordinary person would be by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, they they go forth and try to do what they need to do in order to achieve their goals. And they usually succeed. And in, in encounters, like, as we see in the Middle-earth, Adventures fights seem to go one of two ways. They are either very, very one-sided in favor or against the players, the heroes, uh, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, we have fights where it's like uh, in the first Hobbit book, you have, you know, Thorin and the company of Thorin versus the trolls. And the trolls basically catch all the dwarves and put them in sacks and uh and then you have battles like the one we see in the fellowship of the ring movie where they send these orukai and basically these do these creatures just get wiped out by the fellowship of the ring uh i mean it's the the fights tend to be like one-sided favoring one group or the other and I think there's this modern interpretation in D&D games where players will not run from fights they can't win or that are one-sided. A lot of GMs have said, like, you know, the stand-and-die procedure, and there's nothing wrong with that. If there's a cause to do it, absolutely. You know, Boromir dying to try and save Merry and Pippin makes sense. He's, you know, he's an honorable person. He is a, uh, you know, he is a soldier of Gondor. He is, that's, you know, his, his belief is to protect the innocent. Of course he would sacrifice his life to try to hold the hold back the enemy while they're waiting for their their friends to come and help them but that's not always the case there's times when players are engaged in fights that it's just like this is not a do or die situation there's the door out we should run uh there is no reason to stay and fight this to the death this also applies to gms who have every creature that every player group ever fights fight to the death there are times that a creature might fight to the death, and there are more often than not times that those creatures would just as soon run out the door. But that all goes to, like, designing encounters and, you know, knowing when encounters drag and things like that. It bothers me because I look at this and I'm just like, well, yeah, sure, taking away magic does change the dynamic, but I don't feel like it changes it in a negative way. If anything, I think it improves the game because... The characters can't just go, well, we'll solve all problems with magic. If a character dies, we'll just, you know, cast a resurrection spell on them and and they'll be back in no time. It's almost like a Dungeons and Dragons game without a safety net of magic and divine intervention to 
save them. Now, I'm not saying, again, that there's no magic in the world. Like, for example, scholars are the closest I think we really get to magic. Scholars are the the most academically skilled. They are the most, depending on which way you choose to go, they're the most likely to have healing abilities. Um, Pretty much all scholars are going to have some measure of healing. Uh, Now, this is more, you know, medicinal healing and, you know... uh, the, the art and craft of herb lore than magically I snap my fingers and, you know, Paylor cast his radiance down on you and you regain 26 hit points. Both are fine. There's nothing, you know, wrong with one or the other. But I think that, you know, scholars definitely have that, that feel of the class that is going to draw a certain type of player. They also, depending on what path you end up taking, can, you know, learn certain things, like you can learn words of power. 18th level, you learn words of command. So there's, like, ancient lore, so you can command a door made by the elves to open. Birds and beasts, which, uh, you, you know, you order a wolf to go back to its den, or a creature to go away. Dark knowledge, natural world. Natural world, uh, the example would be order a pile of firewood to burst into flames. Uh, runes, you can command uh, moon letters to reveal themselves in the full light of day. Uh, to do this, you're making a check related to one of the secrets that you've learned, and then if you're successful, you get a, a short but irresistible command. Work of Elder Days, which is to wrench control of a palantar from the will of the Dark Lord. They are definitely potent. Uh, there's also, uh, my favorite, the ability I would always go for is Birds and Beasts, which is, you know, the ability to speak a specific breed of animal speech, such as, like, eagles or foxes. You can choose this up to two times, and you can go from, like, learning the speech of just owls to the tongue of all birds, or, you know, you speak the language of all dogs, things of that nature. That's probably the closest I would say. And there are other magical-esque abilities, like, you know, uh, as we see in our Adventures in Middle-Earth game, if you've been listening, the rangers, the Dunedin, can have prophetic dreams. The elves also can. Uh, dwarves can, you know, train ravens to obey commands that you know, fly and communicate and do things like that. You know, they all have abilities that are unique and special to them. But uh, scholars, to me, are probably the closest to a, a an inherently magic class, uh, just because their abilities tend to come closer to that line. But a lot of it just knowledge. Uh, it's just they, they have they have delved so deep into the lore, they've learned how the world works, and uh, they, they keep that with them. And I think that's, you know, uh, I don't think everyone's going to be drawn to playing a scholar. Uh, I don't think everyone's drawn to playing a, uh, a cleric or any kind of character who can lend support. I think a lot of players want to be really, really powerful and, you know, dangerous. And if that's what you want, you can certain there are certainly classes in Adventures in Middle Earth that lend themselves very well to that. I think that's you know, if someone said I want to be really tough and powerful, I would say like, you probably want to play a slayer there. You know, you're going to be dealing out the most damage, you're going to be, you know, the highest hit points, and that's that's fine. You know, if you want to be a Bjorning and you know, I'm a Bjorning slayer, that's more more power to you. There's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like there's enough of that out there that Adventures in Middle-Earth really does take a different approach to things. It is a game that I think can be... Our, our campaign has not been all encounters all the time. There have been encounters, but 
they they've meant something. If you're not listening to the Adventures in Middle Earth game, I don't want to you know spoil everything. But you know, to me, it's a it's a game that's more about it's more about traveling and 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 doing things that matter than it is about seeking great power and you know being being unto a Gandalf-esque character that should not be your aspiration you know you you should aspire to whatever your journey takes you to i suppose but i just feel like if you want to be like the most powerful character in the world this may not be the the, the way to go because you know there's always going to be more powerful characters than you out there there's also the whole thing of like there, there's this in the uh, the lore master guide there's a whole section about magical items and, like, different ways you can build them and things that they can do. Everything from, like, you are, you know, you know making a, a, a an elven blade with a magical property to creating you know, magical armaments or rings or th- things like that. Uh, not necessarily, like, something as powerful as, like, the Ring of Power or the One Ring, but... You know, a ring that, you know, oh, this ring will allow you to um, pass unseen under a full moon. You'll be invisible under a full moon and under no other circumstances would be something. If someone says, I want to have, like, a ring of invisibility, I'm like, well, the ring of power makes you invisible to pretty much everything all the time under any circumstances with very few exceptions. Being, like, ring wraiths, possibly smog, maybe. Um, You know, they can still smell you, of course. And, uh, you know, this lesser ring that was forged by the elves who, you know, are very immersed in the astral bodies made you made this to basically allow them because they have moon runes that you can only see during the full moon. So it's kind of funny and cheeky to be like, well, there's this ring that you can go invisible during the full moon. So I kind of like the symmetry there. Um, so there's definitely magic in this world. I don't feel like they just said, like, well, there's no magic. There are settings that magic just doesn't exist everywhere all the time. Uh, Dark Sun from Dungeons & Dragons. Yes, there is magic in that setting, but wizards are not everywhere because magic basically screws up the world, and if you go around casting spells, you're going to be stoned to death because you are literally destroying the world. Dark Sun's a fun setting. It's very different because you also don't have metal weapons, usually. Metal weapons are seen as very rare and valuable. Uh, a lot of your weapons are like, you know, stone and wood, bone, stuff like that. And I feel like that's a bigger change than saying, you know, at least, at least a big of a change. It's like, well, you're, you're not going to have that stuff. You're going to have, you know, seemingly primitive weapons by comparison. Um, I, I love Middle Earth because it isn't about being hugely powerful and just crushing the opposition. It's about, to me, I, it's always been about, doing what you think is right and you know being that light that stands against the darkness and I think that that's something we need now as much as ever I think that the world is not an easy place to be in and there's something powerful about saying you know you don't need to be a wizard to change things and I realize people are probably rolling their eyes at that because obviously it's like, well, you're not an elf or a dwarf either or a hobbit for that matter. Um, but I, I always enjoyed uh, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings series because these were people that were bound together in friendship and they helped save the world. Not because they were the most powerful people in the world, not because 
they were even the most skilled. They they certainly had their own skills and abilities, and, you know, Gandalf is, of course, a, a great wizard, but they managed to persevere against seemingly impossible odds. And in the end, they they won the day. And they helped each other through that. And I think that's that's important. And it's kind of a little bit sad when I read these reviews and go, well, yeah, but there's no magic. There's no spellcaster. The classes don't work. It's not that the classes don't work. It, it, it's, you know, if you're running this as the classic hammer and anvil D&D where it's like, okay... Uh, and then I bring out a dragon. Then, you know, sure, if you throw a dragon against the party, then, well, one, there's, you really shouldn't be throwing dragons against the party all the time. There's not that many dragons in Middle Earth anymore. Bard took care of that. But you're also kind of losing something in it. it it's, you know, more about kind of thinking your way through things and being cunning and lining up the the situation in a way that favors the players. Sure, if you want to run a game where Smog, you know, is alive at this point and is just taking Erebor, you could run it as, you know, a big climactic battle, sure. But I think there's a lot more fun to be had if you run it as a game that's true to Middle-earth and that is true to the ideas that are presented, which is, you know, you have your own abilities and it is very unique as compared to traditional D&D. I really think Cubicle 7 did a fantastic job with this. And I think that if a party goes on for a while and uh, you see, you know, maybe they acquire, you know, like the treasure trove with a few magical items over the years and they grow over time, you're going to see these characters. That's part of the mechanic is these characters are growing and aging and eventually they're going to die or retire. They aren't that the, the, with the exception of elves and dwarves, who do, of course, live much longer, and hobbits do tend to, you know, hobbits live a good long while, too, but, uh, you know, if you're a an adventurer from Lake Town, you're going to be retiring long before your dwarven and elven compatriots would. We, when we're playing Lamplighters, our party consists of, right now we have the monk, a warlock, and a ranger. And uh, they've gotten to the point where, you know, our ranger is learning his first spells. And, of course, the warlock always has access to magic. But the funny thing with that party is there's no healing. Warlocks are not healers by any stretch of the imagination. And when we were coming, when we were putting that party together, they were looking at each other and like, well, someone should, should someone make a healer? And they said like, no, we're, we're making the characters that we want to make. And I love that they didn't let party dynamic determine what they're playing. Does it change how they have to approach things? Absolutely. And that's part of what I love about my gaming group. They don't approach things the same way that a typical party might. Uh, and I think that's why we're all having so much fun with Adventures in Middle-Earth. It's it's different in the best way. It's, it is its own world, and it isn't afraid to do that, to, to be different. I think that if you are the type of player who really wants to have immense power, you're never really going to enjoy this type of game. Uh, it's more for people who want to explore Middle-Earth. If you do really love Middle-Earth, you can, of course, there are, it even says in the book, you can always fold any of the classes that are present in any D&D campaign, in the, the traditional, you know, wizard, sorcerers. You can fold those into the game, absolutely. But I feel like it, I feel like you're losing something if you do that. If you're willing to give it a try, then definitely I would say try Adventures in Middle-Earth as written. Don't say like, well, there's no magic, so we can't just do this. You know, I think that magic and divine intervention 
have kind of taken away something from the experience of role playing sometimes. It kind of gives players like, well, if we can't, you come upon a group and it's like, oh, well, we'll just throw a fireball at them or we'll just conjure an acid cloud in the middle of their camp and that'll be that. There's, you know, again, the whole idea is to get into the experience of live, of being a hero in this world. And unfortunately, there are murder hobos who are just like, well, we'll just kill it. And it kind of like, it doesn't, I don't want to say it forces players to role play more, but I feel like it kind of reminds them, okay, you can. Um, well, we're playing Adventures in Middle Earth. Uh, Jessica's character, Sulwen, has, um, she's a warden. And she has started playing, uh, she has her camp, she has her campfire tale. So I always say, anytime she uses it, it basically just gives them additional healing points when they rest. But I always say, like, okay, you have to tell a story when you do this. You can't just say, well, I'm going to give you extra healing. And I feel like that's led to a few cool roleplay moments because she does actually tell stories. Uh, and you can do that with d and I'm not saying that, like, you know, this is, you know, it's the same thing with, uh, you know, Song of Rest or any of that good stuff. But I feel like the the inspiration is there a bit more, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, I'm sorry to ramble on at you. Uh, again, if this was not what anyone was looking for, I apologize. We will have more actual play for you soon. Until next time, everybody, I do want to thank you for listening to Out of Character as always. Until next time, play more games, be safe, and we will see you later. Bye!